ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Warlord Games official podcast. My name is Brad, and I am the host of the show that talks through and explores some of the newest, coolest supplements, uh, games, you name it, that Warlord Games puts out. And there are a lot. Um, we've been sort of spoiled for choice for uh, show topics in recent months, and this this is a corker of an episode, and I'm really excited to dig in. Uh, for those of you who know, I'm a big Bolt Action player, and of course, uh, we have seen the release of the new campaign book, D-Day Overlord, and we are here to talk with a gentleman who I have faced across a tabletop. I don't think... On this podcast, I've actually played an author before, uh, before today. So I am very excited to have on uh, Australia's own Robert Vela to talk about uh, this book. So, Robert, welcome to the Warlord Cast. How you doing, man? I'm good. How are you, Brad? Good. Uh, it has been a, a many a day or year since we have played Bolt Action, but I, I do very uh, strongly remember our last game in a good way. Um, your Soviet naval troops, uh, I believe, were terrorizing my my poor American boys, um, or something like uh, that. Okay. I, was that the last my, game we played? Or is that my Germans? I can't. I, 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 I the last game I remember playing with you was when you had your Africa Corps, and they were just burning my guys alive with their flamethrowers. Oh. <laughs> <clears throat> Awkward. Uh, yes, that may have happened. Uh, they jumped out of those trucks and just mm-hmm. fried everybody. Well, yeah. you know. It one... was horrific. Well, I only had one flamethrower. It just apparently <laughs> fired a couple times. But yes. that oh, yeah. yes, SMGs those everywhere too, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, zipping around the desert. Uh, but yes, that was <laughs> yes, that was a while ago. Uh, that would have been mm. at um, the Mother of All Battles 2016? Anyway, um, we're not here to talk about... I can't about- remember. I'm getting old, mate. Yeah, I can't remember that far back. <laughs> amen. Amen to that. Well, um, we aren't here to talk history uh, so much as we are to talk about historical supplements. So let's let's get stuck in. Um, so clearly, we are at the anniversary of D-Day, uh, the 75th yep. anniversary of, uh, you know, uh, what was the largest naval uh, operation air landing in history up until that point. Um and I think it still is. Yeah. It still is. Um, they mm-hmm. did plan something slightly larger for the Japanese home islands, mm-hmm. but then yep. it never actually happened. So that's right. That's right. So, and I always, I always wondered, has it been done? But I guess you would know if. Yeah. Anyway, one of these things that the host should not talk about. But let's talk about um, <laughs> D Day itself. Um, now you are—you have done a lot of research to write this book. I mean, clearly, if you look at the book itself, it's—I uh, may have joked off air that it's as thick as a phone book. I mean, this is a this is a hell of a supplement, Rob. Um, how long have you been working on this? And I mean, it is so thick. There's so much history in this. Talk to us about D-Day, man. Okay. To be honest with you, I spent four months on it. Wow. Four months. <laughs> For very busy months. Yeah, I was gonna say this is a lot of uh, effort went into this. So yeah, oof. Yeah, um, it was awesome, but yeah, it was a lot. I tried to fit a lot in because I, I really wanted to cover everything. Because mm-hmm. this is a momentous day in history. It's seventy fifth anniversary. Mm-hmm. Uh, means a lot to a lot of people. So Absolutely. I tried to I tried to cover everything I could. I tried to cover all the beaches. I know I didn't write a scenario for Gold Beach, and the reason why I didn't is because it's been covered before, mm-hmm. and there was so much other stuff to cover too. 
So I, I made a reference there to uh, Battleground Europe, mm-hmm. okay, the scenario there for Gold Beach. But I, try, I tried to cover as much as I could. I, I spent a lot of time on the small unit actions uh, with the paratroopers and the mm-hmm. SAS. Okay, um, and so it's gone from one extreme to the other in this book. We've got the very small units um, battles mm-hmm. with very small units, sometimes figures uh, are units of two men, mm-hmm. up to the just gargantuan battles of the uh, the landings. So, yeah, yeah, that I mean, this is a conflict that would sort of lend itself to those extremes of conflict as well. Uh, yeah. Especially, I mean, you you've spaced twenty scenarios out. Well, nineteen, and then the as that one what if scenario. Yeah. Um, that given that it's sort sort of a a compressed timeline, um, perhaps more mm. so than almost any other Warlord uh, bolt action supplement to date. Um, it's I mean it's incredible that you have so many missions um, and you've gone into such depth with them. Uh, it's really fantastic to see. You, I mean clearly you must have done a lot of research across the the. I don't want to say the front because it wasn't, you know, a giant. <laughs> I, what would you call that? The landing side? I get. Um, oh, the, the area of operations, I guess you, mm. you'd say. Yeah. So, which, uh, yeah, they involved a lot of just so much. The operation was just, I guess the, only, the word you would say is gargantuan. It was just mm-hmm. unbelievably huge, um, unbelievable amount of planning, preparation. Uh, that went into it. So it's it was one day, but you can just write volumes about that one day. So. Yes. <laughs> or, you know, over 200 pages. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, and a phone book of text that's right in front of me. Uh, well, uh, all right, let's... I couldn't, resi- I couldn't resist writing the all that history about it as well, so... Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, you go into a lot more depth than the one day itself. So give us a little preamble about D-Day for uh, the folks at home that haven't watched Band of Brothers and every other Tom Hanksy movie ever made. Um, what what is what was the big deal for D Day? Why was this such an, a momentous uh, moment in history? Well, it was just at the that's that part of the war where Germany was at a breaking point. Mm-hmm. It was fighting everywhere. It was fighting against the Russian front. They had the the, the massive defeats in Stalingrad and mm-hmm. Kursk, and they were just getting mauled there. Meanwhile, we had uh, Italy getting knocked out of the war, mm-hmm. and they had the front there. We had the strategic bombing campaign going on. We had all the partisan and um, resistance operations attacking the you know, German supply lines and communications. Mm-hmm. And uh, so D-Day would pretty much was the breaking point uh, for the Third Reich. So once, once that landing happened and it was successful – um, it was a matter of time, really. Obviously, they had to fight, uh, you know, and win their battles to to complete to to win the war. But mm-hmm. um, the uh, Hitler pinned a lot of his hopes on the, well, uh, he pinned his hopes on the Atlantic War, yeah. being able to stop the Allies. That's and, right. And um, yeah, so the Atlantic War was a big deal for him, and he, he expected to defeat it on the shoreline, defeat the invasion on the shoreline. Yeah, he. And had- about, 
he had very little sort of um, confidence in a lot of the quote unquote Western soldiers um, and was all about <sighs> and believed very strongly in setting up a giant defense along the coast itself, um, putting up. I mean, they spent years building these emplacements oh, and yeah. manning them um, and then put Rommel in charge um, after he'd been pulled back from the front. I mean, really uh, invested in the idea of that defensive wall that would keep the allies out. Um, exactly. Yeah. And the, um, he, he wanted to defeat them, uh, and just make them think again about, uh, making another landing mm-hmm. and maybe be able to concentrate back on the defeating the Russians again and maybe even come to terms with the, mm-hmm. with the Western allies. That was, that was his hope, I guess. Mm. Which clearly um, did not happen. It did not happen. The, the invasion was, uh, very ex- successful. Yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, and it for I you know I've talked a lot about or just talked now about how Hitler spent so many years um, and so much time and so many resources building up his Atlantic Wall. Meanwhile, yes. um, hundreds hundreds of thousands of uh, slave laborers working on it, exactly. constructing the, the fortifications, pulling in um, all the resources he needed mm-hmm. to to do it. Just, but yeah, that's only it was a massive investment. And that, but that was only one side of the conflict. On the other side of the channel, of course, the Allies were uh, putting together, as you said, the largest amphibious assault force in history. Uh, and of course, then they're sort of setting the stage and having, you know, having elite troops, um, having just basic troops, and having everything ready, having all of the ships necessary, all the planes to pair, you know, to yes. drop the paratroopers, having all of that ready. Um, but then started the shell game of where are where's the attack actually going to happen, and you know all of these stories of fantastic misdirection. Oh yes, yeah, it's um, it's really fascinating um, the deception plan um, mm-hmm. to divert attention away from uh, Normandy was pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that. Again, that, that that plan was so intricate. I, I mentioned in the book they had about um, seventy six deception plans in place or programs, oh. uh, and it, it not no, it not only stretched, uh, not only um, the fortitude operations, mm-hmm. um, north and south, so um, south against uh, the French coast, north against the Norwegian coast, because mm-hmm. they they wanted the Norwegian garrison to stay there, but they also had. Um, Deception operations in the Mediterranean as well to keep to keep the uh, German units in place there too. So they did what they can just to keep units away from Normandy, and they completely fooled the Germans. Yeah, it was enormously successful. Yeah, wasn't it anecdotally said that um, Rommel didn't or Hitler didn't believe that it was actually sort of like on. The sixth, he still didn't believe it had been fully. Um, oh, he still w- thought he still thought, thought it was a diversion. Exactly. Very long after the the invasion happened, they they still had that belief. Unbelievable. The, the plan the plan worked that well that they were still convinced it was a diversion. Unbelievable. So, yeah. yeah, they still had forces in in Calais, uh, around twenty divisions stationed there, yeah. and kept them there. Into July. Oh, man. Yeah. So. Oof. 
but I guess that's the, name of the, the game, isn't time. it? Yeah, I mean that's, to keep the keep the yeah. Germans so spread out that that you could break through, um, and it was just having to get that toehold on the on the continent, right? That's right. That was that's what was all important. They had to breach the wall, and um, as soon as they did that, they had the men and the material to just flood it. Mm-hmm. And um, once once the first day was lost, it was going to be very hard for the Germans to. Um, yeah, push them back into the sea, mm-hmm. especially with all the firepower and uh, air power, from the, you know, from na- naval mm-hmm. uh, power and just the, yeah, the manpower material the Allies had. It was going to be very hard if they didn't push them, push them back into the sea on the in the first few hours. And it's, it's a quote that uh, Rommel came up with. Uh, he said the the first twenty four hours will be the longest day. Oh, uh, I didn't realize that was Rommel. Yeah. That was that was Rommel, yeah. He said that in April of '44, mm-hmm. and that's why he he wanted the the Panzer divisions stationed near the coast because he knew um, they really needed to have an impression very quickly um, as soon as the Allies landed. Uh, so as I as I write about in the book, um, yeah, Runstead wanted to keep the reserves further inland. Mm-hmm. Whereas Rommel wanted them along the coast. In the end, they had to. They made a compromise, um, dividing the Panzer divisions, some in, in, a, in a central reserve and some near the coastline. Um, and I think Rommel realised, having fought in North Africa and in Italy as well, and other theatres of operation, that um, air power was was pretty pivotal. Mm-hmm. And uh, especially yeah, in North Africa, when where um, you know aircraft could spot everything, mm-hmm. and he was he was pretty much the Africa Corps was the uh, was the victim of, oh, of yeah. just Allied air superiority. He knew it was going to be vital, yeah, because of the uh, the damage he can do to his supply lines and to movement and um, communications. And the Germans did have a ton of AA set up along the coast, um, but mm-hmm. how how outgunned were their aircraft um, during the invasion and then afterward? Well, look, uh, most of their air units um, by that stage of the war were defending the German cities. That's so right. they had very minimal force uh, air forces mm-hmm. in, uh, in that part of the, um, the front line, pretty much. Mm. Um, and the Allied diversion um, strategy worked very well and Diverted a lot of their air units away. Mm-hmm. Um, they used window. They used um, in the first few hours of the invasion. They used the, um, the window technique uh, mm-hmm. to, to divert aircraft away, and uh, they they used they used that technique to also uh, pretty much create a, fant- a phantom fleet off the the coast of Calais. So, and they also used window to fake a, an air attack on. Um, on German cities and French cities, so that diverted a lot of their aircraft away. Uh, when the when the airborne uh, forces were mm-hmm. were being flown in, yeah. Now, when you say the window technique, I have heard of this, but I have to admit I am not an expert. And if I don't know exactly what you're talking about, maybe our listeners would like to know too. So, was that the was that the the practice of um, having planes fly in a particular configuration to make things look like? Um, there were a fleet. There was a fleet under them, or more aircraft present. Was it was a radio trick? Yeah. Um, 
Well, it was a trick on their radar. What they did was drop um, aluminium strips. That's right. Yes, um, to to pretty much make it look like there was just a, a massive aircraft in, in there where there, where there wasn't. So it was a diversion. Mm. Pretty much it was used to divert uh, Luftwaffe resources away. Or yeah, in the case of uh, the Phantom Fleet, drawing their forces away. Their, um, yeah, their ground ships. forces as well as their air forces. Mm. Yeah, their ships or their strength away from Normandy. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Um, all right. Well, let's start talking about maybe the assault itself then, because yep. um, prior to the actual invasion itself, um, there was a whole logistical nightmare of um, landing an unbelievably large number of paratroopers behind the wall to disrupt the defenses before the actual invasion began. And I know <laughs> your book handles a big chunk of that. Um uh-huh. So talk to us a little bit about that, because that is a fascinating part of this conflict. Well, uh, with the with the British Airborne, they, they had some pretty specific tasks. Um, they they had to pretty much defend the the right the right flank of the invasion. Sorry, mm-hmm. the yes, um, or left flank. Sorry, left flank of the invasion mm-hmm. uh, by capturing Pegasus and the Orne River Bridge. That's right. Um, and yeah, so they had to protect the flank there. They also had to take out batteries. They had to take out the destroy the bridges along the the Dyes River mm-hmm. as well. Um, and the the Americans also had um, some important objectives that they had to take too. But I guess um, what what happened with the American landings was that it just created so much chaos um, behind the German lines uh, that they uh, became pretty fragmented and just. Confused. It created mm-hmm. so much confusion. The uh, the night operations scattered the jumps all over the place, and the obviously the weather and um, other factors too scattered the jump. Mm-hmm. And I just it created so much so much chaos for the Germans. Uh, and they were just attacking in all direction. They didn't know which direction to attack, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, and it compl- yeah, just when the landings happened, it just it complicated things uh, even further for the for the Germans. They just yeah, they were totally. Confused. So it was like a short term, um, because the the jumps were scattered so so broadly and sort of badly. Um, it was sort of an initial uh, logistical nightmare for the Americans, but it in the long run it really paid for uh, paid for itself in that it confused the Germans so badly they didn't know exactly who was where and how many people were present. Right. Yeah, and uh, look, the the paratroopers were pretty. Um uh, efficient and mm-hmm. uh, they were uh, they were able to to gather to still gather themselves up and still achieve the, a lot of their objectives. Nice. Uh, they were still they were still able to gather what they had, uh, what men they had around them, and there were a lot of mixed units, a lot of strangers fighting together. Mm-hmm. But they were, because of their training, they were still able to. Uh, a lot of them were still able to achieve their missions. Mm-hmm. And I know that um, quite a few of the, the missions, speaking of missions, in this book um, reflect those operations. Um, are there any in particular that, I mean, uh, there's, you, as you say, you represent things uh, at a very small scale and then at a larger scale. Um, you want to talk us through some of the missions that people might find in this book that would allow them to use some of their uh, allied airborne forces? Yeah, sure. So, well, well, we've got. If you look at scenario one, it's mm-hmm. looking at. Um, we talked about a bit of the uh, diversion operations. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so the first uh, op- uh, scenario is uh, Operation Titanic. Mm-hmm. You're uh, a small um, unit of SAS uh, troops dropping um, in the in the early hours of, um, of June 6th mm-hmm. uh, and actually June 5th as well, um, in the later hours of latter hours of June 5th. And your goal is to pretty much divert, divert attention away from um, the other airborne landings and from the eventually from the the uh, the amphibious landings. Mm-hmm. So your your job is to um, set up recording devices. So they were dropped in. They were dropped in with um, the uh, dummy paratroopers, mm-hmm. which I talk about as well. That's right. Which uh, which which um, simulated the uh, paratroopers landing and the sounds of battle, and the the objective the uh, SAS were also had the same objective to divert troops away. So they had to they have to set up their equipment in this scenario and then uh, attract as many Germans as they can to the to the area and then make their escape. That's the the objective of the scenario. That is so cool. It's such a, a cinematic. Uh narrative game i mean you could almost imagine that being sort of the the main crux of an action movie uh and just the way the mission reads and the way it's laid out on the map i mean you get a very clear idea of how it how it all works Uh, and man that looks like a ripper of a game with all the bocage and the the farms uh, and the roads it looks awesome well yeah the playtesters really enjoyed this one Mm -hmm. um they uh yeah they liked the the, uh, the balance of it the the fact that you had to get troops in there, um, do what you have to do, uh, and survive. Mm-hmm. It's a it is like a raiding mission in a way. Yeah, exactly. Because they have to get out alive as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, the advantage they have is they are uh, very small units. There's, there's ten guys in total, but mm-hmm. they're all in units of two. Yes. Uh, so, and it is a night operation. So. They are very hard to spot and very hard to kill because they are two-man teams at night. Mm-hmm. So actually uh, hitting them is, is a hard thing because they, uh, they are a pretty stealthy unit nice. in that scenario. Yep. Mm-hmm. Nice, man. And it's not uh, every day you get to field a gramophone on a bolt-action <laughs> tabletop, That's right. right? That's it. That's it. Um, yeah, that, the thing about these scenarios too, look, I've, I've kind of read them in a different way, I think. Um, I, I want to create the atmosphere, mm-hmm. and I want to I want to kind of um, I wanted to immerse the the players in, into the scenario and get mm-hmm. them into it. So I've I've kind of some of them I've created a bit of a narrative, a little bit a little bit a little bit of a story about what's going on. Yes, it's all history. Obviously, it's all historically based. Mm-hmm. But you know, obviously, I've, I've dramatized it a bit as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it, you, you kind of have to, given um, the the. It is a ga- it is a game, right? Exactly. It's a war game. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is based in history as well. But yeah, you you want to make it exciting. It's it is a game. You want to have fun. That's right. As well. Well, then um, I know it moves on into um, Operation Tonga, which was the British airborne operation, and there's a series of British airborne missions. Um, which is pretty cool because a lot of what is talked about in other, you know, source books or, you know, in, in media, it tends to be the American paratroopers. But I was really happy to see there was um, some very solid British-focused uh, missions, uh, which is great. Yeah. 
And usually with the the British, uh, people tend to focus a lot on just Pegasus Bridge. And I do focus a lot on, mm. on Pegasus Bridge. There are three scenarios on it, okay? Yeah. Everything else is only one scenario because uh, it is an iconic uh, action, I guess, of, of D-Day. It's, it, is. It's very, it is very iconic. Um, I did a, a borrow a lot from um, scenarios written by John Lambshead. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I kind of um, I changed it a bit and I, I added to it. Mm-hmm. So I thank John for um, letting me do that. Um, yeah, but um, also, as you as you can see, if you look mm-hmm. at the book, I'm holding I spent it, yeah. a lot of time I spent a lot of time on Merville as well because you did that that kind of, that kind of uh, that action. Well, that action a lot of the time plays second fiddle to to Pegasus Bridge. So uh, yeah. <laughs> I went a bit. I actually went a bit overboard with that one. I, I've created a lot of units for it because mm-hmm. the the one thing I noticed with with Merville, um, Lieutenant Colonel Otway created all these specialized units for the operation because mm-hmm. it was a very difficult task that yeah. he had, and everything pretty much went to crap. <laughs> <laughs> he um, he only got like a less than a third of his force. Ooh. Gathered together for the operation, mm-hmm. and they were, they were pretty in. They were, he was pretty much in despair, and he th- he thought it might be suicide. Yeah, uh, but he his men were had such high morale, had such good training mm-hmm. that they followed them there, and they managed to do it. They were they did pay heavily um, in terms of casualties, like fifty percent, which is extremely high. That's yeah, unbelievable. But they still, <laughs> but they still achieved their objective. Which is a testament to them, really. Yeah. I, like I, um, I did a lot of research on that particular one, mm-hmm. and uh, like I, I listened to interviews with Lieutenant, Lieutenant Colonel Lotway, some mm-hmm. of the other um, participants as well, and it was it was a pretty amazing uh, operation, pretty amazing battle. So that's why I spent so much time on that one. And in the end, they did, even though they suffered all those casualties and suffered all that adversity on the way in, they had they did successfully um, silence the Merville battery. Um, That's right. Yeah, which you know, without explosives. Yeah, right. <laughs> they did. They pretty much um, had everything they needed to to succeed. They they didn't have access to, so they didn't have any heavy weapons. Mm-hmm. They didn't have any explosives. Um, they couldn't sing- signal the gliders coming in. Oh. There was supposed to be a, an, uh, an air landing operation, landing gli- uh, gliders into, in the, into the middle of the battery, which, um, which didn't happen because they weren't able to signal them in. They were supposed to give them a signal mm-hmm. to say, you know, to, to give them the okay to, to come in. And he didn't have the, um, the mortar rounds to, to, to give them the signal. So Unbelievable. He, at that stage, he was... He was he was just uh, agonizing. He was over over what was going on. He was just frustrated at that stage, and mm-hmm. oh. <laughs> but he, he felt that it was his duty to, to to carry on, and he did. And the men were were behind him as well, and they they did their duty. They got the job done. It was yeah, pretty amazing. Oof. Well, from there we we move on into um, the the I guess the overall airborne assault in as a whole. Right, and we get into yeah. skirmish in the dark and um, yep. the Bray Court Manor. Um, so, start talking us through how it works now that the U.S. are involved in these missions as well. Well, with the with the Americans, what I what I do is uh, I start off with 
pretty much just a random engagement that they they might have gone through in mm-hmm. the early hours, because as I said before, it was it was chaotic. Oh yeah, uh, there was people scattered all over the place. Uh, there were mixed units everywhere. I, I think I mentioned in there that people were paratroopers were getting captured, then um, freed and captured again, then oh. freed again. Okay, mm-hmm. so. <laughs> They were just running. They were just there were little firefights and skirmishes all over the place, and uh, that's what skirmish in the dark is all about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a competitive scenario because it's so random. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's supposed it's supposed to be random, and it's supposed to be played that way. It's not to it's not a scenario you play to to win. Mm-hmm. It's it's a scenario you play to experience. That 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 experience yeah, exactly for lack for lack of a better way of um, ex, expressing that chaos um, I think is a better way of putting that yeah, yeah it's bonkers. it is pretty chaotic. I love it it's yeah. awesome so good yeah um and I, yeah I've added the uh, cautious movement mm-hmm. as well and that that makes it a pretty unique scenario I think um, agreed uh, if you can get used to those rules because they they are a little bit complex. Mm-hmm. You can have a really fun time with it, yeah. Yeah, man, that's of uh, and there are some. I've already, um, you know, my copy of the book's a little dog-eared and has some uh, post-it notes sticking out of it. But one mm. of them is that mission because I'm looking at it going, that looks like a lot of fun to play. I think I'm going to have to get that on the tabletop. Um, yeah, it's, as you say, it, it it's it's narrative. I mean, it's not about a competitive kick your face in kind of mission where I'm, you know, two equal sized forces, you know, duking it off across a battlefield. It's very much um, sort of recreating the sort of the uh, the insanity of the moment um, on the yep. ground, which is just fantastic. Yeah, look, um, this book, it's theme is paramount in this book. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's 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 recreating the it's trying its best to recreate. Um, what happened, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so yeah, the narrative is, uh, is important, yeah, in these scenarios. That's right. Especially especially the early ones, I think, yeah. Definitely, I would say. Uh, yep, the later ones are, are bloodbath. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the beach landings. <laughs> the, lead, the beach landings mm. are brutal. <laughs> we'll talk about that later, but yeah, yeah exactly. they are pretty damn brutal. Yeah. Well, if we're talking about Braycourt Manor, which is the next one along, um, that's one yeah. of those missions that is straight out of, literally straight out of Band of Brothers. Yeah. What is that? Third, yes. the third episode? Um, and uh, second. Second. I uh, think. Okay. Oh yes. yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yes, second. Uh, and it definitely is. <laughs> sure. And I, I did. Mean, I did. Uh, I did re- uh, read um, Ambrose a lot as well. Mm-hmm. He he covers this battle in a lot of detail. Um. With his book, Band of Brothers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he's he was a good source to you, Stephen Ambrose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for this particular scenario, and uh, yeah, I go into a lot of detail. I name I name uh, pretty much every American involved in the in the battle, which is amazing. Unf- yeah. Unfortunately, I don't know the names of all the German defenders, and mm-hmm. there is still uh, there's still debate about who they actually faced on the day. Oh, really? Some people, yeah, there is. There, there's some people think they might have faced German Fallschirmjäger. Some people think they might have faced units from the 709th Division. Some people think it was the 100, 100, uh, 1058th Regiment of the, um, the Luftland Division. Oh wow! And that's what that's what they kind of lean to. They they do think it's um, troops in the Luftland Division. Mm-hmm. 
but there's yeah, there's still a bit of debate about it. Yeah, yeah. I've I've set it up to to be pretty much grenadiers from the 1058th Regiment, mm-hmm. pretty much uh, from the Luftland Division. Yeah, 91st. It, it looks, that is a ripper of a mission. Um, you know, you got your paratroopers running yep. in. The Germans have all the machine guns. And, you know, the yep. Americans are trying to zip around. I think you've done a wonderful job of trying, of, of capturing that, the feel of um, both the that part of the book that Ambrose describes and from the episode yep. for those who like the miniseries. Yeah, it's great. Which I think, I think the, the, episode, the TV show, I think uses Ambrose a lot as well. Oh, it does. Yeah, yeah he's, it, the whole series I think is based on his book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Band of Brothers. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, yeah, and I, I, I do. I have bent the rules a little bit here. Like I've got a lot of really small units, two man, mm-hmm. two man units. Um, yeah. So, I've had yeah, I've added the ad hoc rules in this book too, and uh, because there there were, especially. With the airborne landings, mm-hmm. there were a lot of um, smaller units running around the place. There were, yeah, um, obviously because of you know, the scattered jump. So, and there were a lot of just imp- a lot of improvisation going on. There was the unit structure. You know, <laughs> a lot of these units uh, was was not textbook. No. <laughs> so, you've got a lot of smaller units and a lot of yeah, is nothing was. Um, what it was supposed to be, pretty much. Exactly. So, yeah. Well, right on. Well, then we get into a, 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 a I don't want to say a much larger, but a slightly larger, at least, uh, table, uh, more, <laughs> more terrain, um, in, a, in objective XYZ, um, where there's yes. <laughs> an assault in a village. And I looked at all those buildings and went, wow, that's a lot of buildings. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which is, yeah. It, it, this it is looks a pretty like, crazy one. Yeah, again, I mean, <laughs> these missions... I had to put this in the book. I had to put yeah. this one in the book because when I was a kid, I read about um, Staff Sergeant Harrison Summers mm-hmm. when I was young. I, my grandfather had the uh, the whole set of those World War II Time Life books. Mm-hmm. And one day I read the, um, the D-Day one. And they talk about this operation, uh, Objective XYZ and Harrison Summers. And I just couldn't believe what I was reading when I when I was reading it. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty amazing. Um, yeah, it really captured the imagination when uh, for a kid. Mm-hmm. When you, uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. So I had to I had to put this in there. So for folks this is who my own personal thing for folks who aren't familiar, um, what what who was Summers and what did he do that was so uh, spectacular? Because yeah, his story is pretty awesome. Well, yeah, he. Um, but he was sent with by the uh, pretty much the battalion commander mm-hmm. um, to take on this this pretty this hamlet this small this village here, mm-hmm. um, which was garrisoned with uh, over two hundred men <laughs> from um, artillery units that had been bombed out of their positions and mm-hmm. set up shop there um, with, a, with a small force of uh, fifteen men, and when they got there, um, <laughs> the the guys he was with. He knew none of them. They they didn't know each other at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he ordered them to you know, proceed with the attack, he they weren't interested. They mm-hmm. they just think it was, they thought it was crazy. They thought it was insane. Mm-hmm. And what he did next was pretty was pretty insane. And he he admits it himself. He couldn't believe what he what he did afterwards. He pretty much 
took on the whole thing by its, by himself. It was pretty early in the morning, and mm-hmm. for some reason they were just they were pretty oblivious to what was going on. They were just uh, they just went away. Like yeah, um, he pretty much took him took him on house by house. He just cleared him cleared out the the whole place just house by house. Um, uh, he got he, eventually the other guys did join him. Uh, it took him a while, and he was joined by uh, another man um, as well, another soldier. Uh, John Kamen? Yeah, yep. that's right. So, And he uh, he joined in as well. And, um, yeah, they cleared most of the area up, and then eventually the other guys came in. They, also, they were also supported by another guy uh, with a, who uh, used his submachine gun to kind of um, suppress the Germans as well. Um, yeah, it's a pretty pretty amazing story. Eventually, they did get reinforced, uh, but they they pretty much boxed boxed in the the garrison into this um, into this building uh, and burnt them out. And literally, like over fifty guys ran out of this building <laughs> after they set it on fire. And yeah, it's anyway, you, you've got to, you've got to read it and um, and play the scenario. It's yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. Well, looking at the U.S. side of it, you have Summers and Cayman, a two-man group armed with SMGs. You have William Burt yep. and an assistant with an LMG, so another two-man right. team. And then you've got a paratrooper squad of 11 men um, that's right. with player's choice of weapons but no bars. Now, that's mm-hmm. what, uh, 15 guys? <laughs> And then facing yep. them, as you say, yeah, it is 15. You have 10 inexperienced green or grenadier. The Germans have 10 squads. Um, yeah, green grenadier squads. Yep. Unbelievable. Sorry, inexperienced green grenadier squads. Yep. And the first yep. seven of which are seven-man squads with an SMG. And the remaining three are 10 with an SMG, an LMG, and a Panzerfaust. Yeah. And in the first few turns, he's pretty much – he's taken them on by himself. Um the the squad that's with him, the eleven man squad, mm-hmm. can potentially come and help him, um, but they have to pass a test to do that. Yeah. So that's yeah. a pretty hard test to pass. It gets easier as time goes on. Yeah, uh, they he's all they've also got the support of um, William Burr and his assistant mm-hmm. um, to help them with it. But, um, yeah, still uh, four they, soldiers sure, against how many yeah. Germans? Crazy. Yeah. It is pretty crazy. He gets that rule too, where he, he can actually just um, kick the door down and, and stand at the doorway mm-hmm. and just strafe them with his submachine gun. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, they they they're hard to kill as well. They you need a six plus to kill them. Mm-hmm. So because they were pretty much blessed on on mm-hmm. that occasion, they they didn't they both survived it. So. Yeah, that is. Uh, he so was cool. he he got wounded. Uh, Summers got wounded a few times, but mm-hmm. he still walked out of there, <laughs> which is unbelievable. Yeah, it is unbelievable. I love that the rule is called knock knock. That yeah, very uh, very yeah, cinematic. It could, it, <laughs> yes, it could have been influenced by I don't know maybe some Arnie movies from the <laughs> maybe Predator. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Knock. <laughs> mm-hmm. Knock, knock. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Well, as you know, uh, yeah, I don't enjoy those movies at all. So I, 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 do, oh, yeah. I yeah, no, I love that. Every, it's awesome. Every black, every black hates those movies. Exactly. <laughs> right on. <laughs> well, all right, well, let, let's let's uh, let's move on to the the counterattack at Saint Marie uh, Saint Mare Elise. Oh God, That's I right. 
my French relatives are rolling over in their graves. It's terrible. <laughs> uh, so talk to us about this, because um, this is a mission that's broken up that has objectives spread across three parts of the board and is played um, long ways, not short wise across the table. So, you know, there's there's yeah. quite there's a, a lot there's going on. There's a few on. scenarios like that in this book. Mm. So, um, yeah. yeah, so it spreads it spreads the Americans. Yeah, they have to have. A big chunk of their force on the on the uh, in the reserve zone. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they have to yeah pretty much hustle up and uh, fill in the breach because yeah during the battle um, they had to shift a lot of their units across mm-hmm. Mary, St Mary Inglis to reinforce the defenders. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the idea of, of this scenario uh, for the um, for the smaller American force to hold off until their reserves come up mm-hmm. and, and uh, support them pretty much. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. So the Germans have to capture two of the three objectives. So they, they'll, they'll pretty much, they probably will overwhelm the first one. Mm-hmm. I think where the, the fighting is going to happen is over the second objective. Yeah. Because that's yeah, right um, between where the um, U.S. reserve zone is and the U.S. deployment zone, so that's where most yeah. of the fighting, yeah, most of those those forces will be. Exactly, um, unless the Germans pretty much dominate one flank and smash all the way through and push through to the third objective, mm. because the um, the Americans will have to, um, yeah. Hold pretty it. much pull their pull their units together and try and um, hold them. So they they might be divided up. They might get scattered and divided up. So yeah, it is a it is a pretty much um, hold uh, hold until you you get your troops up yeah, and exactly yeah hold until relieved. Together. Yep. That's right. <laughs> it's a That's bit of a right. theme in this book. It is. Oh, man. Uh, especially in those early missions. Um, now, there's one last mission before we start getting into the big battles, which is Nouvelle Al Plain, uh, which, yeah. again, uh, is a small, uh, in some cases, named U.S. force um, facing up against a thousand points of German uh, field division, which is with, <laughs> with two extra Stugs. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, man. Yep. Oof. Yep. So yeah, the pretty much the idea here is to is to hold mm-hmm. for as long as possible because that's what they had. To, that's what they had to do during this battle. Yeah. Um, what happened was originally a whole battalion was to, supposed to hold this part of um, uh, the northern part of Saint Mary and Gleese, mm-hmm. which included this um, hamlet here. Um, and what ended up happening was with the counterattack, a lot of the air forces were diverted back to um, the other side of St. Mary Inglis, the southern side. Mm-hmm. Um, but what um, Vandervoort did, he was the their battalion commander, he left a, a platoon mm-hmm. in this hamlet to defend it. Well, they first took the, um, the hamlet, with, it was very small German opposition, then they had to um, defend it and we're talking about uh, like 40 guys versus, you know, at first 250. Oof. Then reinforcements came in as well. Oh. And they, they did it for nine hours uh, before they had to retreat. They had 16 guys left and they barely got out. They almost got surrounded 
they did get support from a, another platoon which which came up to to help them escape mm-hmm. and they managed to get out so the point of this scenario is they have to hold uh, the crossroads or that area there or the, mm-hmm. the little hamlet as long as possible and try and try not to get destroyed doing it as well so because there are two ways the um, the Germans can win so they can they can do it by either capturing the objectives mm-hmm. or just um, hurting the the American forces enough just for them to just have to abandon the position Oof. yeah so oh, so cinematic I love it man so cool. <laughs> yeah so yeah they're gonna they're gonna get it they're gonna get a beating they're gonna cop it mm-hmm. they just have to hold as, as long as possible hold out man just hold it <laughs> that's it well, Rob, I think it's I think it's about time we got to the big show, so to speak. Um, the big Kahuna battles um, that everyone oh, sort yeah. of knows D Day for. I mean, the sure, big explosions. Yeah, exactly. The ships, <laughs> the gargantuan explosions. Yeah. Yes. Oh man, <laughs> nothing like setting up a giant fortified beach and then um, you know pointing all the guns out to sea, and then the Americans and you know other allies. Um, basically pulling up e-brake sliding their battles, you know, their, their destroyers sideways and firing all the guns point blank range at the ground. Um, Firepower. (laughs) This, this, these missions make my head hurt just at the logistics of how big they are. So let's talk about the beach, the, the, the beach landings. Um, where do you want to go? From one extreme to the other. Exactly. No named people here. And then we got these massive, Brutal battles, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, well, talk yeah. us through, man, because uh, as you say, Omaha's covered it in other books, but I know you provide some great uh, history and some uh, context in the book itself. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, talk to us about what is in the book as far as mission-wise that people who are excited to play these epic battles um, can look for. Okay, yeah, well, the German, um, the German side of things is just a lot of fortifications, mm-hmm. a lot of guns. Um, and, uh, yeah, just fortifications, minefields, barbed wire, mm-hmm. just tons of it everywhere, uh, trench lines and the allies have to just beat their way through it. Oof. And they have a few, they have a few instruments to help them. Mm-hmm. Okay. They've got the, um, amphibious tanks. That's right. Um, they've got their tanks landing in our, in landing craft as well. And one thing I should add here, um, we'll, we might talk about this later with the, mm-hmm. the units, but, um, Heavy tanks can land in LCMs now. The um, landing craft mechanized. Oh. Okay, so you can, so you can land. Yeah, look, um, they landed in LCTs, but mm-hmm. it's just too those. If you were to actually use an LCT, they're just too big for the for this table size. Yeah, six true. by four foot table. Yeah. So I did kind of tweak those rules and allow heavy tanks to to um, load onto the landing craft mechanized. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, yeah, you can get your RV, uh, mm-hmm. AVREs onto the beach. There you go. Okay, uh, with this, with the first scenario, scenario 10, um, yeah, when we're talking about um, the firepower the Allies get oh, yeah. to overcome these defenses, they get a lot of firepower. Mm-hmm. With the preparatory bombardment, if, uh, if you actually do roll a six, um, you, do, you will destroy the bunker and everybody in it. Oof. And the reason why that's that's in the rules is because that's what happened historically. Uh, mm-hmm. 
it was pretty much the only beach where the Allies opening salvo or the opening air and um, air and sea bombardment was very successful, which uh, really helped the landings, and which led to the small casual, the lower casualties mm-hmm. on Utah Beach, around 200 casualties compared to the thousands on Omaha, which is a which is a massive contrast, really. Uh, between the the two U.S. beaches, uh, they were one, one from one extreme to the other. The, mm-hmm. the light casualties and the success of Utah and the the uh, the bloodbath and the uh, just the just the um, the grind that was uh, Omaha oh, Beach. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the the opening bombardment was very powerful. And should I talk about? The uh, naval forward observers. <laughs> yes, you should, because I know a lot of people looked at that and went, "What?" Yeah. Well, when you were talking about theme, that's mm-hmm. I had to have that. You had to. I had to represent just the overwhelming firepower. The, you did. The Allies had to to, to break open um, the Atlantic Wall, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um. So that's why I've added that unit. Um. Some people, some uh, reviews I've read have said, you know, maybe you shouldn't use them in in <laughs> standard game. <laughs> I wonder why. Um, yeah, um, they are pointed. Yeah, exactly. They, the points have been given to them to to make them more expensive. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should have pointed them more. I don't know, but um, yeah, it is pretty expensive. It, if it, it might not go off though, like with all of these exactly. observers. So, and they could get assassinated by a sniper. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. But if it does come in, it is uh, pretty devastating. I was so, more, I was, I was more talking about. It's not every day that you're going to have, you know, a guy pointing out a naval assault gun, um, pointing, yeah. firing point blank at a beach in the middle uh-huh. of, oh, I don't know, Kursk. <laughs> if you're playing in a, you know, yeah. a, <laughs> that exactly. just doesn't fit, right? Well, that's why. Yeah, it is limited to, um, to D-Day. Yeah. To this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so do you want me to yeah. talk about that briefly? Yeah, yeah, hook it up. Okay, yeah, so pretty much it's similar to your standard artillery observer, mm-hmm. except there is a, a new line to it pretty much where mm-hmm. if you roll a five, it's a near miss. So one to four, you're pinning them in the same way as you would with the standard artillery observer. Mm-hmm. But if you roll a five, it's a near, it's a near miss, um, and so you're still pretty much hitting infantry. I think it's a, a, a two-inch template for infantry. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, for tanks, you roll another dice. If you roll um, one to one to four, it's just pins. Mm-hmm. But if you roll a five or a six. Uh, you're going to flip the tank. Actually, no. One to four, you get superficial damage yeah. on your tank. Sorry, you do. You get superficial damage. Mm-hmm. Five and six, you get destroyed because uh, pretty much what happens is the shock, the massive, just explosive power on the shock wave of the shell hitting, the force of it will actually flip the tank over mm-hmm. and uh, roll it, roll it over, and um, pretty much knock it out. Yeah, it's that's astonishing. That's, uh, which is pretty much what happened mm-hmm. with, the, with these naval bombardments in in Normandy, yeah, and in, on, on D-Day, the force of the the explosion was was enough to actually flip, you know, tank tanks mm-hmm. over fifty tons over, like Oof. tigers and, and panthers and 
Yeah, so it's that's pretty a, devastating. That's a hell yeah. of an explosion. <laughs> that's right. We're talking very heavy caliber mm. shells here. Yeah, so yeah. that's that's what this um, pretty much nice. uh, simulates. Mm-hmm. Well, you have yeah. a, a bunch of missions that um, sort of cross those different beaches and simulate uh, the different fighting environments on them. Uh, mm. And then, of course, and I was so happy to see um, the assault at Point to Hawk on here as well. Um, yes, where you well, have, I have to have you have yeah. to have that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, you but, have to have. You know, um, I tried to cover all the divisions that were involved mm-hmm. on, with the landings. Obviously, as I said before, Gold Beach has kind oh, of yeah. been covered before, so I didn't cover that one. But yeah, with Omaha, I had two scenarios mm-hmm. covering both the 1st Division, Infantry Division, and the um, 29th Infantry Division. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing about these scenarios, too, is um, a lot of them emphasize the individuals involved mm-hmm. in these battles. So, uh, you know, for example, we already mentioned Harrison Summers, mm. um, you know, with Lord Lovett, and oh, yeah. Dutch Coder as well. Dutch Coder. Is a very central part of um, scenario twelve, I think it is. Mm-hmm. The um, get off the beach. That's right. Okay, even the title of it's centered around him. Mm-hmm. So it, it, that focuses on the the leadership the um, the Americans had, the the pretty strong leadership they had to to get the troops motivated and to get to get them off the beach, which is where they needed to be and out of the kill zone. Definitely. Because they were they were just getting hammered there. Um, yeah. So, and you know, if you've noticed there too, so the to create the th- the 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 atmosphere and the theme, the allies come in two waves mm-hmm. um, with their landings, and the first wave will get hammered yes. a lot of the time. <laughs> yes, we'll just get hammered. Yeah, and um, <clears throat> and we've got the um, the special rule. We've got the navy on the horn, mm-hmm. which allows you to rule to to use the forward naval observer multiple times Mm-hmm. okay so and you you pretty much do need that to well not need like it helps you a lot yeah it helps you a lot it, it helps you a lot to to get you off there a lot of them have that for free too um some of them have free tanks mm-hmm. um as well for the american beaches too it is harder for them because they have to cross more sand and sand in this book uh, slows down your movement. That's right. So, mm. Yes. So you're going to be spending one or two turns you know, crossing the beach mm-hmm. pretty much to try and get to the sea, trying to get to cover. So you're going to get, you're going to be out in the open and exposed. Yeah. And with there. all those German guns, that's not a good place to be. That's right. That's so, um, so yeah, the, the, what I was trying to do here with these scenarios is just, um, just create just the the uh, just the the mauling that that happened really, mm-hmm. and just what they had to overcome to get off the beach. That's right. Um, yeah, so that's that was a, that was the theme of these of these scenarios, the beach landing ones. Well, it is uh, it is great to see several scenarios um, where you actually see Canadians. Um, Canadians are often you know sort of not discussed or shunt, you know, shuffled under the British umbrella in bolt action, but to mm. have actual uh, British-Canadian assault 
platoons um, and, yep. you know, Canadian explicit lists in this book is just awesome to see. Yeah, well, they'll have combined them because um, they, they played, they, they had a whole beach. Mm-hmm. That they, Juno. That was um, allocated to them. Um, so I combined them with the British um, because they did use the same equipment. Okay, mm-hmm. but they play just as an important role as the uh, the British in the landings, That's with right. uh, the the landings in Juno. So, I did um, I did make a recommendation um, for their national mm-hmm. their national rule. Okay, which um, which focuses on their their focuses on them being pretty uh, aggressive assault troops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Nice. They get the gung ho rule from not gung ho. Um, tough as boots from the British book. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's that's what I've recommended. Players yeah. that they it's not it's optional. Mm-hmm. If they if they if players feel that something else suits them better or su- suits a specific unit they've researched better, they can use that as well. Nice. Um, but that's just a recommendation I've, I've given there. Yeah. Nice. Well, the Canadians. Once you've um, sort of punched through, once the Allies have sort of punched through the beaches themselves, we get into, um, you know, a series of missions that sort of simulates the battles um, of the Germans trying to push the Allies sort of back onto the beaches and to keep them <laughs> out of the uh, the countryside. Um, yeah. How in-depth did you want to go with those when you were writing this book Given that when you, you know, I mean, I, I guess the focus itself is the lead up to in the beach assault, um, but it is an important part to, to once you've got that toehold, to get a bit of your foot in uh, the door, so to speak. Yeah. Um, well, talk look, to us about that still, process, yeah. Well, there was still a danger that they'd be driven back into the sea. There, there was mm. the 21st Panzer Division right, deployed right near the, uh, the beaches, mm-hmm. just up the road, pretty much. But, uh, what happened there was they were pretty much sent on a wild goose chase. Um, as I talk about a lot in the um, in the book, um, mm-hmm. there was a lot of confusion with the German con- command structure, the way it was uh, it was put together. Absolutely. Okay. the The strategic reserve was under pretty much Hitler's control, mm-hmm. and the Twenty First Panzer Division uh, pretty much was under that umbrella. So they didn't really get operational orders until late late in the morning that's uh, crazy pretty much uh, so they had they you know they committed local attacks against the airborne troops mm-hmm. okay but uh, they weren't able to pretty much counter the counterattack the main british push from the beaches until uh late in the afternoon mm-hmm. uh which is covered in um scenario 18 18 yes. yeah sounds yes. about right um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Leave us say wood. Yeah, that's okay. right. Okay, and that's that's the um, yeah the counterattack on the twenty first Panzer Division. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, which was pretty much um, they still they still kept on going. They what happened during this battle was they mm-hmm. they hit the the British. They they got a pretty bloody nose, but then they just kept on they kept on going, <laughs> <laughs> and we're 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 stopped. Um, at a ridge, mm-hmm. um, further inland, when they call the quits, uh, there was that was um, battle group um, ranch, I think. No, Opal, Upland. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Upland. Uh, 
there was another battle group uh, that divided the actually divided the the British uh, beaches. Um, uh, sorry, the the British beach at Sword and uh, Juno, mm-hmm. the Canadian beach. Um, but that actually they actually ended up retreating as well. They made it to they actually made it to the sea, uh, but they they kind of got freaked out by seeing these uh, glider troops land behind them and decided to pull out of there as well. Understandably, so, it's not a, probably a yeah. great idea to have uh, you know enemy troops de- de- deploying behind you uh, when the wall is coming at you, uh, so to speak. And so, yeah, that can you don't want to be between a rock and a hard place uh, strategically. I found. Yeah. So pretty much the, the counterattack failed to drive the Allies into the sea, but it did stop the advance on Khan, which was an important D-Day objective mm. for the Allies. Um, and it would stay out of their hands uh, for a very long time. That's right. Um, pretty much behind, behind Khan was the uh, was tank country for the Allies just to keep on advancing into the t- interior. Mm-hmm. So it was a, important. It was probably the most important uh, strategic objective of the day or, or tactical objective. Yeah, that's right. And it was the one that they did not achieve. Oh yeah. So we should talk about uh, scenario 17 Pegasus oh, yeah. bridge. Hold yep. until relieved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was, uh, it was one we had a lot of fun with, especially with, um, Lord Lovett's special rules. Mm-hmm. When we were play testing it. Um, uh, should, I'll, should I talk about Lord Lovett's, uh, rules? Absolutely. Uh, Lord Lovett and Piper Millen. Mm-hmm. He's a character. Uh, yes, he was. Uh, he's one of those British characters you admire, and you just, you just, you just have a bit of a, a giggle to yourself, or mm-hmm. you just have a, with a smile on your face when you when you read the, when you hear the stories and you read the stories about him. That's right. Pretty pretty amazing character. Yes. Um, yeah, he was pretty much just strolling around uh, <laughs> the beach mm-hmm. and inland um, on D Day. Attracting a lot of gunfire yes. and just shrugging it off. Yeah, it was pretty much um, going uh, going about his mission mm-hmm. with a with a bagpiper next to him. Yes, called Piper and Piper Millen, just playing bagpipes um, just through just throughout Normandy, and uh, people were just going to believe it. The um, when he actually reached Pegasus Bridge, um, the paratroopers just could not believe what they were hearing. They, yeah. They'd, uh, they, they thought they were losing their minds pretty much when they were hearing bad bagpipes uh, being played. Um, yeah, so it was. It's a. It's a. It's a pretty uh, epic part of D Day. Yes, so Lord Love it definitely has to be in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, so the rules for him. Let me just find it. Well, while you're finding that, if you if you really want to attract a lot of gunfire and a massive <laughs> assault, bring your own bagpiper. <laughs> I talk I talk a lot about Lord Lover because he was such a character. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of anecdotes in there, so and uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of stories about him um, when he actually reached the beach, mm-hmm. uh, reached the uh, sorry bridge, not beach. Uh, so his special rules: uh, he he gets um, five plus a bonus to morale. Mm-hmm. Okay, he's a he is a, a brigadier. Okay, and he. Wow. Um, he, the way he acted pretty much inspired the people around him. Mm-hmm. Okay, just not caring about enemy fire at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he has got a twelve inch radius for his command radius mm-hmm. as well. Um, he also can get 
that's the the base cost is 175 points. He can also get uh, Piper Millen for 45 points. Mm-hmm. And the reason why he's 45 points is because he uh, increases the cam- command range from 12 to 24 <laughs> uh, through his bagpiping. Mm-hmm. Okay. And a force under Lord Lovett's command with Piper Millen does not pick a um, national characteristic because um, their national characteristic is determined every turn. What happens is Piper Millen will play a tune, mm-hmm. and whatever tune he plays corresponds to um, what national characteristics the uh, commandos will have, or the force under his command will have on that That's turn. So cool. Yeah. So um, the first the first song he can play is Scotland the Brave. Mm-hmm. Okay. So playing Scotland the Brave brings the national characteristic up and atom into effect. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you play Black Bear, that brings in toughest boots. Nice. Okay. If you play Blue Bonnets Over the Border, okay, it brings in Rapid Fire. So yeah, they okay. can, with Millen, they can choose what national characteristic they want for, for that turn. Yeah. Um, so when we were playing the, when we were play testing this, we actually were, were uh, playing these songs, these bagpipe songs every turn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so whatever tune um the commander wanted to play of the force, he'd choose it and we'd play it and it did create the theme pretty well. It was, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Oh, that's yeah. just a really cool way of adding another element to uh, your games. Um, and and uh, just uh, yeah. adding theme and, you know, atmosphere to it. And it really does create the um, that, that, that need in the German player to shoot the bagpiper. Um, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, which I'm sure that, that the uh, the German troops are in, in that conflict may have uh, also shared. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, and that's part of the objective in that scenario. They have to stop um, Lord Love and Major Howard from meeting up. Mm-hmm. They're outnumbered, obviously. Like in, at the start of the scenario, they they they're um, they're outnumbering the the airborne, mm-hmm. holding the bridge. Okay, but when the reinforcements come up for the British, all of a sudden the Germans are outnumbered. Okay, so they mm-hmm. they can try and push hard and capture the bridge or even destroy it. Okay, but if they can't do that, they can try and um, stop Lord Lovett and Major Howard from um, pretty much uh, making contact with each other. Mm-hmm. So the British have to defend the bridge and they also have to keep these guys alive as well. If they don't keep them alive, uh, the best the British can do is a draw. That's such a good mission, man. I, I love the uh, I love the way it plays out and the way it swings um, sort of thematically throughout. Uh, and it really does. I mean, I've said it before, but this book really does a great job of creating cinematics on the tabletop. Yeah, and that's that was my one of my main objectives as well for this. Like, I really wanted to create that was paramount for me to create the theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, to to bring it alive, so yeah, hopefully that's that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think when we've talked, um, and I'm talking, we is the uh, the Warlord podcast. When we've talked to authors of other supplements uh, and game books that <laughs> Warlord's done, um, we often, you know, we spend some time talking about the missions, and we talk a lot about other units um, and selectors, and you know, other aspects, but. Um, this book in particular is so narrative driven 
that I think we absolutely had to go into that depth. Um, folks will notice yeah. that we've gone into a lot more depth than usual with the missions, but I think you kind of have to. Um, would mm. you agree? I think so. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. The, the theme is, is, is for me, it was very important with, with D-Day. Mm-hmm. And we are looking at just one day. Yes. So we are zooming into it. We're looking at individuals. We're mm-hmm. looking at these these battles, these just pivotal battles, um, historical battles. Okay, a D-Day is celebrate, celebrated um, uh, everywhere. It is. Um, it's it's iconic. Mm-hmm. And so we, I think uh, that was important for me to to recreate why it was important. Mm-hmm why it's important to us today as well. That's right. And the fact that you put the context, you made sure that there was a lot of context for each mission so the players understood the stakes and they understood the context. And so they understood exactly what they were playing through. Otherwise, you know, it would just be um, just another rulebook mission. But the fact that you you really laid it all out, um, those stakes are in the players' minds while they're playing. Um, And it just does, it's a great supplement for that. I think that's why it became so thick. <laughs> yes, I can definitely say that. <laughs> and that was important to me. Like, um, and that's why I worked pretty hard on this mm-hmm. because I, I really wanted to to do that to achieve that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and that's why um, it went way over. <laughs> yeah, what um, they they wanted me to do, pretty much. <laughs> yes, but they didn't take anything out, so. That's a good sign. <laughs> that is a great sign. And I think that speaks volumes about um, clearly the effort that you put into this book. Well, I, I, another another section, and I hear the internet calling in the background, screaming at right. us. Um, there is another whole section in this book that I know a lot of people at home are going to want us to talk about. Now, we're not going to yeah. go into each and every little unit because yeah. Um, yeah. just like in the, um, the the Battle for Budapest book that with Brian Cook, Uh, When we talked to him, there were so many new units. And likewise, this book has so many units to talk about. Um, Let's sort of focus on some of your favorites. What are some cool new things that um, both U.S. or British or German uh, or Canadian players can look forward to adding to their forces? Uh, Well, um, a lot of the... um Engineering units mm-hmm. are pretty, are pretty, are pretty good. So, obviously, with these scenarios, you have to overcome fortifications. Mm-hmm. Um, the special, the special rules for the uh, reinforced platoons too. Um, so, uh, for the airborne, the mm-hmm. American airborne, they get crickets. Very so, cool. So, a lot of um, all their, pretty much all their, oh, not all of them, but um, a lot of their missions are at night. Mm-hmm. Um, so they can pretty much see anything within 12 inches with the crickets. Mm-hmm. And if uh, for people out there that are not sure what crickets are, mm-hmm. are these little uh, what's the best way to describe them? A, a signaling device? Yeah. Well, it was it was something you it was something you'd push down on. It'd make a cricket sound. Mm. And um, that's how they were able to identify each other in the night, mm-hmm. uh, pretty much to to identify friend or foe in the darkness. Um, so they'd click it once, and the the other paratrooper hearing that that click, click clack sound, 
mm-hmm. would respond with two click clacks back. Um, and if that click, uh, if that two click clack um, sounds didn't come back, they could assume that the enemy was out there. Mm-hmm. So that's how they could identify, um, yeah, friend or foe in the darkness. So it ended up being a pretty handy tool for them mm-hmm. uh, on D-Day. Um, if you're looking at um, reinforced platoons too, I think uh, the the American beach assault forces mm-hmm. have access to a lot of bazookas. Yeah, they a do. A lot of firepower. Yeah. Which they, which they did um, historically. And uh, they, they've got that special rule where they're able to hit bunkers more easily and they actually get HE mm-hmm. against bunkers. Which And, and they did um, – Bazooka teams did have access to HE rounds as well. They did historically, so um, so that's in there as well. Uh, the German units, there's a lot of um, weird and wonderful vehicles. Yeah, there are. There's a lot. <laughs> so, and there's those French tanks with the uh, the rocket launchers, mm-hmm. the multiple multiple launcher on there. You get the option to get that. So we've got the yeah, so pretty much what happened. Um, uh, there were a lot of these training Panzer training divisions mm-hmm. um in scattered around normandy um they were actually had to be pushed into the front line so we're talking about units so we're just with old french equipment from you know the belle of france in uh, 1940 yeah so um so there's the uh in the in the book there's the 100th panzer replacement and training battalion which um has access to these units um mm-hmm. and some other Weird and wonderful units as well. So we've got some flame tanks in there. Oh, yeah. We've got some older, more obsolete Panzer, Panzer units as well. Mm-hmm. But they've also got access to, you know, the Stugs, uh, got, yeah, as, as well. And yeah. a, lot, a big variety of um, infantry units too. So oh, yeah. with the German infantry, you know, in a lot of the other books or the, a, lot of, a lot of the other supplements, mm-hmm. you get access to a lot of these elite units. In this uh, in this book, you get uh, the wide spectrum, pretty much. Yes, you um, do. <laughs> so you get Ostrupen, mm-hmm. uh, which is still the same, but you've also got um, you know, you've got green German troops too. A lot of the um, the static divisions had very inexperienced troops. So, and we're talking not only the the foreign and uh, foreign um, troops mm-hmm. in these divisions, but also inexperienced German recruits as well that's right um so that they're represented by the um here um green grenadier mm-hmm. squads okay but we've also got um the roa yes the inexperienced fanatics, fanatics. that's the right inexperienced fanatics so there were uh russians mm-hmm. um manning the atlantic wall that did not want to be captured no so so they ended up um Flying pretty tenaciously, um, so that's why they've got the fanatic rule. Mm-hmm. Uh, they heard that the Americans were going to send them back to to Russia if they mm-hmm. if they surrendered, and they did not want that. They were pretty wow. much anti-communist Russians that uh, joined the uh, Russian um, Liberation Army, mm-hmm. and yeah, they did not want to go back. So mm-hmm. they fought pretty tenaciously. Now, it, it is interesting to see a sort of 
uh, later war set of German units that all have bicycle options, uh, which is a very mm. cool and thematic addition as well, because often we think of those with, you know, circa 1939, uh, 1940s uh, German units, but to see so many mm. units that have the options for bicycles. Uh, oh, yeah, cool. and uh, even the British, uh, the, the commandos, mm-hmm. um, they had a lot of the units had uh, bicycles on D-Day as well. They did. To, to get around. They had to, to get to their objectives, and yeah, that was one way they did it. That's right. Yeah, they're just, uh, there's a ton of great units, and I love that, as you mentioned before, and I just want to draw an underline under this, um, I know that sometimes, uh, you know, people love a good themed army, and um, one of the, you know, some of the most iconic armies that people love to field in bolt action uh, are the paratroopers. I mean, they're just, you know, they're yeah. they're popular. <laughs> and the fact that you've added a number of new units to both the British and the American paratroopers, yeah. specifically yeah. those engineers. Um, yeah, um, with the Merville battery, <laughs> as I mentioned mm-hmm. before, I may have gone a bit overboard with uh, a lot of the specialized units that uh, Otway came up with mm-hmm. for the operation. I pretty much covered them all. I do. I do go into a, probably, a, you could say, a ridiculous amount of detail on. Yeah, you do. <laughs> a bit too much. No. Um, <laughs> so, and I've covered. I've covered all those. Uh, all those units in here. Mm-hmm. So some of them are, are pretty wild and wacky. Yep. Uh, <laughs> you could say. You can. Um, but I mean, uh, according. I mean. This is the first book, and one of the first things I remember people asking when Bolt Action first came out all those years ago was, where are the Bangalore torpedoes? Where are the Bangalore mines? And you've yeah. given them to us. Yeah. Um, they they kind of were in the rules before. Yes. And but... you kind of do use those old rules for them, mm-hmm. the, the mine-clearing rules. Mm-hmm. Okay. But they weren't attached to units. Right. That's the difference, I mm-hmm. guess. They were just in the mine rules, and no one would, everyone would forget about them, and they mm-hmm. they wouldn't use them. So I guess, um, and I, I I tweaked the rules a little bit, like a, I've made I've made it that you have to move away, mm-hmm. so you have to start adjacent to the target, and you have to move away to detonate them. Mm-hmm. But the rules are still the same as the the old rules. You're still using the uh, the mine clearing uh, table. That's them. right. Yep. Nice. Yep. But yeah, as you say, you now have the the list entry to actually put them into your forces. Um, and yep. I know a lot of people, that's where they're looking for those special rules when they're building armies or building forces, um, even if yep. they, you know, the rules do exist somewhere else. Um, yep. Yeah, and as you say, you also included a ton of different uh, theater selectors so people can build themed forces um, to play in those missions yep. um, and to use those units, which are just great, man. Yeah, um, Fortifications, <laughs> mm-hmm. we'll see. Like obviously they're they're pointed there, but you know I, some people might have a, a a problem with playing against lists that have fortifications in them. Yeah. So you probably have to talk to the person you're playing against. Mm-hmm. But look, they're something you can try out. That's right. And I don't know, I don't know about comp- uh, competitive play. That's something tournament organisers. Would need, need to, to work out, yeah. We need to work out. It is recommended in the book to use them for friendly, friendly games, narrative games. Exactly. Uh, to, to begin with, yep. So we'll have to say they are pointed though. So mm-hmm. fortifications are expensive. Yes. To add, 
but they're also very strong. But with second edition, they're a lot easier to hit, a lot yeah, easier to are. pin. Yeah. So there's always that. You can pin them. You can pin the crap out of them if you've yeah. got enough yeah, HE. Which makes sense if you're in one and, you know, the explosions are coming around you. You're not going to want to be sticking your, you know, your gun or your face near any of those gun slots. You'll be ducking for cover. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Right on. No All matter right. how thick the uh, fortification is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, do any of those um, theater selectors sort of jump out at you as one that you'd like to? I mean, there are just so many to talk about. Look, the uh, 101st Panzer Training and Replacement. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a cool one. Reinforced Platoon's pretty interesting. Yeah, tell us about um, that. Well, yeah, it's the, um, as, as I was mentioning before, it's mm-hmm. the, um, the one with the, the French tanks. And, uh, but you can also, you've also got a- access to the um, troops from the 91st Luftland Division because they were an attachment to them, mm-hmm. pretty much. Um, so you can have Faustian in your list. Very uh, cool. You can have crappier got, um, mm-hmm. squads as well if you want to. You can mix it up a bit. So that's what makes that interesting. Look, uh, the beach landing... Lists are, are pretty interesting, very yes, specialized, um, have a lot of firepower mm-hmm. to overcome what they need to overcome. A lot of ex- a lot of explosives, that's another thing I'm pretty excited about, the mm-hmm. explosives. Just being able to blow up, blowing, blowing up things is pretty cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, it's like it's pretty much like having a, um, uh, like a heavy howitzer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you have to actually go there, yeah. survive, plant it, then get out of there. And then get so out, you, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, and you're going to get attract a bit of attention. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. you've got explosives. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna, people are going to be shooting at you a lot. Uh, exactly. Which, again, yeah. is, is super thematic uh, and cinematic yeah. to have on the tabletop, which is cool. Yeah, there's a lot of specialized units, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that really really help you to play the missions in this uh, book. Oh yeah, the the there's the SAS de- uh, deception teams as well. Mm-hmm. Now which how have do those th- bombs? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now how do they work on the tabletop? Because they do some fun stuff. Well, pretty yeah, you can you can plant bombs. Uh, you can plant a bomb mm-hmm. on the table, pretty much, um, to deny people objectives. You can place it on an objective and. Make them think twice about going near one, I guess. Exactly. And while uh, you're not destroying that objective, man, you are really disincentivizing someone from going near one, um, which yep. which is something outside of the partisan list, um, mm. which, you know, people sometimes see those explosions and go, I don't, explosives and go, I don't, I don't know if I want to risk going near that. In this case, you are very very clearly making it uh, difficult for your opponent to go take that objective, which yep. is very, uh, it's very cool the way it's laid out. Cause you can't just automatically do it. You have to actually go through the effort of setting it up yourself. Um, and again, it just makes for a really thematic, interesting game. Yes. And so the, uh, the other, uh, special rule is the, uh, deception rule. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which, um, makes it harder for reserves to come at the table. They get a, another minus, uh, to their order test, okay. And if you combine that with the um, campaign special rules, mm-hmm. it's it's yes. a, it's bad in itself. Yes. But with the um, the air superiority uh, special rule, mm-hmm. um, it's it's hard enough to to get reserves on 
as it is. Actually, I'll go. I'll talk about those rules as well. Yeah, the please campaign do. rules. Mm. Let me just find them. Give me a moment. Yeah. <laughs> just jog my memory here. Flipping through the phone book, looking yeah, for right. campaign rules. That won't take long at all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, this oh, book we does have found a nice it. index, so you can find them. Yeah, here we go. I found it. All right. Yeah. So, um, with the air supremacy, mm-hmm. allied um, forward air, uh, air observers roll a here it comes result on an airstrike on a roll of three, four, five, and six. Ooh. So it's easy for them to get uh, aircraft on. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and the reason why I've done that is just air superiority over Normandy was just su- yes. supreme. They had supremacy. Exactly. There was just. It was very rare to see German aircraft around. Yeah. So that's that's um, what's behind that special rule. Uh, in addition, German reserves receive a further minus one to their order test to come on from reserve as well. So Makes sense. Yeah. It's very hard for the Germans to get troops on. <laughs> yeah. In this book, just because of just um, they pretty much had taxi ranks of aircraft just waiting to swoop down on something. And just attack anything they they saw. So they, the Germans had a very hard time shifting troops around. And uh, I talk about that with um, as a I've got some rules apart from the the rules in the back for, mm-hmm. for the characters for a, a, a German character early on in the book after the Utah scenario. Mm-hmm. And if you read his story, it just talks about how this um, this soldier just got. On D-Day, he just he got attacked attacked so many times by aircraft. It was it was just ridiculous. So just <laughs> every time he retreated or every time he moved, mm-hmm. he was a target for for an air attack. So, and I put that that story in the book just just to show just the dominance they had yeah. over the battlefield, um, the Allied air, air forces. Um, there's also the ad hoc rules. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, yeah, look, a lot of times in um, these World War II battles, unit structures would change depending yeah. on what was going on. Often okay? on the spot. Exactly. So if, you, if, you, if a unit received heavy losses, they're not going to be at full complement no. of what they should be in the, in the, uh, in the field mm. manual. So um, these rules are good for, for that kind of uh, situation. Mm-hmm. Okay? If, you, if you, you can use them to represent... A battered unit, mm-hmm. you can use them to represent um, uh, paratroopers that are scattered all over the place, and only have a few men in their in their squads. So that's that's the purpose, and it, and for for D Day, it's it's thematic. Yeah, to, and to have these rules, yeah, and common uh, in that situation. Yeah, exactly right. I think I think um, it was pretty common in, in any theater of war, really. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially one as just uh, brutal as the Second World War. Exactly. Yes, it's yeah. true. Um, <laughs> we got very good at killing one another. Um, sadly, mm-hmm. in that yes. situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think our time is sadly almost up. But I mean, clearly, if if you, the listener, haven't sort of got the point yet um my jokes about it being a phone book size book it is a massive book and we haven't even properly gotten into um the bocage rules all the other mission specific terrain rules the there's a ton of special characters um i mean there's a a 
quite a large number of theater selectors. We've only mentioned really a couple of them um, and a wad of new units, um, some of which are tied directly to missions and some aren't, um, which is, you know, this is just a great addition to the uh, to the bolt action canon. Um, and though this book, I guess, has a heavy lean towards narrative play rather than, quote unquote, maybe competitive play. I think there's stuff in here for everyone. Um, I think it's a really great book, Rob. And thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about it. Well, my pleasure. Yeah. Happy to do it. Oh, brother. It's f- I'm, I'm happy you did. I'm, 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 I'm happy this is on my shelf, and I look forward to playing some of the missions. As I said, uh, I have uh, bookmarked particular pages, and I'm looking forward to uh, putting my uh, Germans on the board. And uh, I do know some friends with some airborne forces that are gonna, gonna have to. Uh, I'm gonna have to try and repel the uh, Allied invaders. So this will be uh, this will awesome. be a lot of fun, man. So yeah, you've uh, definitely got my bolt action juices flowing with this book. So. Um, uh, we've talked a lot about theme and history, but yeah. the main purpose of these books is to have fun. Amen, I guess, To enjoy it and to, to immerse yourself in it. And, mm-hmm. uh, that's that's the point. It is, man. <laughs> it really is. Uh, just to remember that you know games are for fun, and I think this book does a really good job of um, you know sort of hooking 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 the reader and saying, yeah, let's let's go to this conflict. Let's play some games. You know, let's push some toy soldiers around and roll some dice and. You know, remember some heroes while we're doing it and, you know, have a good time doing it as well. So, Rob, you've done a great job. Thank you so much for coming on, man. As I said, um, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. It's been a pleasure for me too. Right on. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, if you have any feedback about this episode or any other episode of uh, the Warlord Games official podcast, um, you can find me. Um, I am the host. My name is Brad. Um, through the Facebook page of my other podcast, which is called Cast Dice, C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. And if you message that page, I'm the only one who runs it. So I am the only one who you will get. And um, I am always happy to hear from fans of the Warlord cast. And I'm always amazed at how many people message um, to say how much they like the show and with ideas for future episodes. I know there is a lot of interest uh, for some upcoming Warlord products that um, I'm not sure I can mention at this point, but um, I know we will be covering in a lot more depth, uh, be it bolt action and other. So stay tuned. Uh, As always, there will be more Warlord cast goodness for you. Um, I know I've said this in previous casts, but I think it is always worth mentioning. Uh, Podcasts don't cost money. You can download them for free. However, uh, for some of us, time is often more valuable than money these days. Um, We just don't have enough time in our lives to do the things we love. And if you've taken the time today to listen to this, uh, we from Warlord Games and the Warlord Games podcast would like to thank you uh, for your interest in Warlord's, you know, fun and awesome game catalog and um, for listening today. So thank you very much. Uh, On behalf of Warlord Games and the Warlord Games podcast, I would like to say a heartfelt good night. We look forward to uh, talking soon about some of the other games that you know and love.